feel that spirit in this house. Amen. And if you want to be free, you can be free in an atmosphere like this. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, the book of Acts chapter 3 is where I'll take my text this morning. Such an honor to be here again. I think it's been uh, maybe two or three years now that I was here the last time. And uh, just love the Williams family. What a gift you have in your pastor and family. Amen. The Lord has been good to this church. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. Amen. And Brother Williams, when he sees me from time to time, he'll say, uh, I'm still looking for a date for you to come back. And of course, uh, pastoring, it's a little harder to get free on a Sunday, but uh, it's always a delight. Amen, to get to be in fellowship with the Williams in this wonderful church. And, of course, to have my wife and my family with me is just an added blessing. Amen. And so uh, I just look forward to what the Lord is going to speak to us today. Amen. The book of Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1. I must confess that perhaps this is not the first time that you have heard this text. And it's certainly not the first time that an apostolic preacher has preached this text. Uh, but if the Lord will help me, I would like to approach it maybe just from a little different position than what I have preached it before. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Verse 3, or I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate. I just want to stop right here and just bring a little clarity to our text that is pretty obvious to the reader. And that is that this is not the first time he's been to the gate. This is not the first time he's peered into the mirror and realized he has a handicap. It's fairly obvious. I don't know, and the text doesn't say how old he is, but we do know that he's lame from his mother's womb, and we do know that the occasion for him to be brought to the gate is daily. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of handicap. It's a lifetime of dependency. It's a lifetime of being carried to the gate. It's a lifetime of begging. It's a lifetime of peering into the eyes of the passerby and seeing if perhaps they might have enough pity to give a few coins that will get you through till tomorrow till someone else can bring you back to the gate. It's a lifetime. Verse 3 whom seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asking alms. And Peter, fastening eyes, his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, 
But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately, everybody say immediately, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. What a dichotomy of terms in this text. A lifetime. A lifetime of handicap. A lifetime of begging. The daily regiment of playing on the sympathies of others daily for years. It's the same practice. But the Bible said that when Peter took his hand, that immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Immediately. What had been a lifetime in the making turned in a moment. The Lord will help me for just a few moments. I want to preach the long road to immediately. The long road to immediately. Would you lift your hands and your voice to the Lord? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that we feel in this house. Pray, God, that you would speak all over this congregation, anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to accept, and we'll give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. He doesn't have a memory without a handicap in it. You know, I will preface my remarks this morning by saying that I am a preacher of restoration. I believe that God can restore you from the place that you have fallen from. I believe that if you're here and perhaps you have walked with the Lord and you have had a relationship with God, but somewhere along the journey you have become disenfranchised with your purpose, that if you can realize from where you have fallen, that God is just and faithful to forgive you and he will restore you back to where you've fallen from. I'm thankful this morning to be in an apostolic church that believes that God can restore the broken. God can put the broken back together again. That God can make you whole all over again. But what if you've never been whole? We preach a lot about restoration and the restoring power of God. But what if you don't need restoration? What if being restored back to what you were is still a state of crisis? What if all you've ever known is addiction? What if all you've ever known is failure? What if your life is fraught with mistake after mistake? 
And being restored back means that you go back to what it feels like emotionally and spiritually and financially and otherwise to be abused or taken advantage of. The truth is that numbers of us who sit in worship worship forums just like this every week, we're not looking for restoration because if we are restored back to our former place, we're still in bad shape. Sometimes you don't need restoration. Sometimes you need a miracle. And this man that we're speaking of today, he doesn't need restoration because if he is restored back to that original state, then he's still lame. He's still carried to the gate. He's still struggling. He's still depending on others. But when the apostle Peter walks by that day, he is not looking for restoration. He's looking for a miracle. Can I preach to somebody this morning that we are in the audience with a God who can do what no other power can do. That when you walked into church this morning, maybe you don't need to be restored back to what you were, but you need God to do something new in you. You need the Holy Ghost to walk into your life and transform what what really isn't much at all into something that has meaning. He doesn't have a memory without a handicap in it. From the long-awaited moment that the doctor slipped this miracle birth into the hands of his awaiting mother, It has been long and it has been filled with handicap. A handicap that has humbled him to the place that nothing can take his dignity now. He he doesn't mind the walking and leaping and praising God through the temple, not after years of crawling from the cot in front of the gate, beautiful, to be on full display. His life. His life could not get any more degrading than the stares and jeers of the passers-by who whisper about him what he already knows of himself. He's lame, he's humiliated, and he's dependent. He is devoid of dignity, held captive by uncertainty and paralyzed by fear. It's been a long road to where he is today. It's been a long life of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. It's taken him quite a journey to get to where he is in our text this morning. The Bible tells us the story of Joseph. He's a dreamer. I certainly this morning don't need the liberty of time to tell you the story of a man who has purpose, anointing, and calling. He's having dreams in his father's house. In his dreams, the sun, the moon, the stars, they bow down. The interpretation, obviously, thereof is that his mother and father and his brothers will bow down to him. He's a dreamer. He's God called. He has purpose. 
he has another dream where the sheaves of the field bow down and pay homage to this dreamer. What purpose he feels in that moment. But it's a long road ahead. His brothers will selfishly lie and sell him into slavery. He will be incarcerated in Pharaoh's prison. Potiphar's wife will lie about him. He will be sold into slavery. He will be taken advantage of. He will be lied on. He will struggle in a prison. It made me wonder, Brother Dustin, when I started to read it, I wonder what he felt like living every day in that prison. Wondering, am I ever going to get out of here? Am I ever going to make it through this crisis? Am I ever going to get through this situation? Am I ever going to meet someone who is trustworthy, who doesn't take advantage of me? I know the dream that I have, but I just can't ever find my purpose. If I can't trust my own brethren, and I can't trust Potiphar, and I can't trust Potiphar's wife, and I can't trust the prisoners, am I just relegated to living the rest of my existence in a prison wondering at every Every turn of the key, when is someone going to let me be free? Every day in the prison, rehearsing the dreams, wondering why. It seems like there's a glimmer of hope. When the Holy Ghost comes on him and he has the interpretation of the dream. For the baker, until the interpretation of the dream is that the baker's going to die. But he has the interpretation of the dream for the cupbearer. He said, when you come back into Pharaoh's presence, don't you dare forget that I gave you the interpretation of the dream. Get me out of here. I wonder... I wonder, hear me now, how many hours of anticipation he spent in that jail cell. After, after that holy anointing came on him and he had direction to give the interpretation of the dream, I wonder, I wonder how many times he thought, this is my last day in this prison. I wonder how many keys had to hit the, the keyhole of that door to that prison house and he could just hear the chains rattling and he thought, this is the day I'm going to be free. This is the day I'm going to get out. I don't have to, I don't have to go through this anymore. They're going to, they're going to, it's going to be better than I ever thought. I just can't wait to be free. Potiphar's going to come to his senses. They're going to rescind the accusation. Potiphar's wife is going to admit her guilt. I'm going to be free. Only to be let down over and over and over again. But there was one day, hear this preacher, and the Bible said that the door of the prison opened and the word transliterated means and immediately 
they brought him out of the prison. He spent a lifetime handicapped at the gate. He spent a lifetime begging. He spent a lifetime struggling. But just in one moment, what was a lifetime getting to where he was, his life was changed in just a moment with God. I want to preach to somebody in this house this morning. You may have been in prison your entire life. You may have been handicapped your entire life. You may have been struggling supernaturally. You may have been struggling with your faith, but just in one moment, God can turn your life around. Here's something we know about the lame man is although he is devoid of his dignity and he's paralyzed by fear out of all the things that he's lost, he never lost his faith. I feel like telling somebody in this room, I don't know how long you've been in prison, but don't you dare lose hope that the next turn of the door is the day that you're going to be made free. You may have been handicapped from birth, but I'm telling you now, your day's still coming when somebody's going to walk by the place that you're perched and a few words of faith are going to interlock with your hope and he whom the Son has set free will be free indeed. Let me tell you where we are. Is we limit God because it's something we've never seen before. You know, you know what we do with God? Is we relegate God to what we can understand about Him. Why do you think the Bible said, lean not to thine own understanding? Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Because you'll go down the wrong path if you keep leaning to your understanding. Because it might be a word from God, but as you filter the word from God through something you understand, it could still be the wrong path. Because you got to know that when God gives you a word, that God's got a way that that word is to be transliterated in how you practically act out your next step. Lean not to your own understanding. But we're not careful. We'll take a word from the Lord and we'll put it in something we understand. If abuse is all we understand, if being let down is all we understand, if failure is all we understand, we're not careful. We'll make a promise something that makes sense to us when he don't think like we do. And if we're not careful, we don't think like he does. I want to tell somebody in this room, God's got something bigger for you than what you can even realize. (laughs) 
Because you've been thinking about the things that you understand. If you're not careful, what we'll think of is terms that we understand because we've been handicapped our entire life. Because we've struggled our entire life. Because we've lived in poverty our entire life. Because we've lived without the fulfillment of a promise our entire life. I want to tell somebody in this room, don't you dare dumb down a promise from God into something that you can make sense out of. When we, he don't, he don't talk like we do. He don't speak the same language we do if we're not careful. Some of us need to let go of the past so we can embrace the promise that God has for us. We'll put our promise into something that we can handle. I got a little lady in my church. I baptized her last September. I look out two Sunday mornings ago. I look out at the congregation and somebody says, Pastor, there's a lady here that'd like to talk to you. I look down there and it's Danette and her daughter. I baptized them last September in Jesus' name. She got the Holy Ghost. I walked down there and I said, Donette, she is sobbing. Tears running down her face. I said, Donette, are you okay? She said, I'm better than ever. I said, what is it? She said, Pastor, my little girl right here has never heard. And she said this morning, while the Holy Ghost was moving in the altar, she said, I got to believe in God. And she said, I just reached up and took the hearing aids out of my daughter's ear. And she said, my daughter started weeping, this little girl sobbing. She said, because she heard music this morning for the very first time in her life. I feel a little witness of faith in this room. Just because you've never seen it done does not mean that God cannot do it. Neither had a virgin ever given birth to a baby. But when that angel said to Mary, you're going to bring forth something. The Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you and you will conceive and you'll bring forth a son and call his name Jesus because it had never happened. Didn't mean that it wasn't possible. I want to tell you today, because you've never been healed, because your life has never changed, does not mean that it's impossible. You just let your faith get back to work and you believe God for something you have never seen before. We got a little lady in our church. 24 years. I thought about him this morning on my ride to Starbucks. Because this big long of bikers passed me. A few of them pulled into Starbucks. I started to ask them if they knew Joe. Paula is the picture of an apostolic lady. She comes in, she sits on this side of the church. Her daughters all came to our church. Two of them still do. One's a worship leader, one's on our youth team, the other married a preacher, and they live in Michigan. And I got to preaching one Sunday. And there's a fine line between faith and stupid. 
And sometimes I don't know where that line is. And I was preaching one Sunday morning, and I turned and looked at Sister Paula, and I said, Paula, do you really believe that Joe's going to be lost? I said, you got three apostolic girls. I said, Joe don't know it, but they're all going to marry apostolic men. I'm going to do their weddings. We're going to dedicate their children in an apostolic church. I said, Joe's paid for them to go to youth camps and Bible quiz tournaments and youth congresses. He's drugged more hair out of the drains in your house than any other man in Excelsior Springs. Do you really think he's going to be lost? Well, he's not. I said, he don't know it, but I said, when he dies, he's going to be buried in an apostolic church and I'm going to preach a funeral. It felt good when I said it, but he still wasn't there the next Sunday. 24 years, she carried a marker in her Bible with a prayer request that her husband would be saved. And one Sunday morning, Joe walked in and sat down on the pew. It wasn't too long into that service. The Holy Ghost got to moving. Joe, the biker, big old guy, sitting there, and all of a sudden I see this little tear run down Joe's face. I hadn't seen one before, and I hadn't seen one after. And a guy from our church goes back there. He starts praying with Joe. And all of a sudden, you can just look at the side of Joe as the ripples start to work up his side. And all of a sudden, he just lifts his hands and begins to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. A 24-year prayer request. It's a long road. It was a long time. It was a lot of memories. It was a whole lot of struggles. It was a lot of sleepless nights. It was a long time going to church by herself. It was three daughters being raised in the church alone. But then suddenly, in just a moment, all of a sudden, Joe, some prayer request that's 24 years old, gets answered immediately. I don't care how long you've carried it. I don't know how long you've struggled. But I'm telling you to hold on and keep your faith in just a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, he will walk into your room and he'll change your circumstances. He's 33 and a half years in the making of his ministry. called disciples he has invested in them they have believed in his purpose and their calling they said though others might deny you we will never deny you
And yet the one who promised to never deny, he denies. But Jesus looks at the apostle Peter. He said, Pete, Satan hath desired to have thee to sift thee as wheat. The devil wants to take you out. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take advantage of your weaknesses. Satan hath desired to have thee. Watch this. But I have prayed for you. Not that you wouldn't fail. Not that you wouldn't escape the temptation. I want to help somebody in this room. Is that oftentimes our prayer requests are motivated by an attempt to avoid what God is allowing in your life to bring you into the place He wants you to possess. Let me just put it in these terms. Oftentimes, our prayer request is an attempt to avoid a sacrifice. Lord, get me out. Anybody prayed that prayer? Get me out of this health crisis. Get me out of this financial struggle. Get me out of this trial I'm in. And what we don't know is the reason that God allowed it is because your trouble is what's making you what you are. Jesus Christ, God in flesh. The Bible said, and he learned obedience through his sacrifice. Even God had to learn how to obey. But the way he learned how to obey was sacrifice because he had to go through some stuff. I want to tell somebody in this room, our prayer isn't that you escape the crisis. The prayer is not that you escape the challenge. The prayer is not that you get out of what you're going through. The prayer is that your faith fail not. Because I'm going to tell you, there's going to come another crisis. There's going to be another dark day. There'll be another challenge. And the same faith that got you through the problem you're getting through right now is going to take you into your destiny. My prayer is not that God will make you free, but that God will give you the faith to stand the course in the middle of the storm. It's a long road to immediately. But if you'll keep your faith, every time somebody walks by the gate, if you believe this could be my day, this could be my miracle, it may be 24 years, but in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, suddenly, immediately, speedily, God will do a miracle and perform every promise he ever gave you. Bible said in Numbers 13 that the spies came to Kadesh. The word literally means holy place. And there delivered an evil report. The word transliterated means a negative report. 
I want you to hear me because this is really what I'm preaching toward right now. The Lord said to them, I'm going to take you to the land of promise. Let me stop right here and say this. Sometimes we don't know the difference between a prophet and a false prophet because the recipient of the prophecy dictates its value as much as the prophet does. Now let me explain what I mean. Moses and Aaron show up and they say, we're leaving Goshen. We're going to a land that flows with milk and honey. God's going to give you houses that you did not build and vineyards you did not plant and you will inherit the promise of God. They die in a wilderness marching around the same mountain for 40 years. Is he a false prophet? Did God lie? Was the Lord dishonest? No. Because the Bible said they got to the edge of crossing over. And when the spies came back, they said everything he said about that land is true. There are houses that we didn't build. There are vineyards we didn't plant. And here is the fruit of it. I want you to look that even the details he told us, it's even greater than he said it was. Everything he said was there is there. I'm going to tell you, if they had armed themselves that day and marched in, they could have inherited every promise that God gave them. Every prophet, every prophetic word that was uttered would have come to pass that day had they believed in it and had they allowed their faith to work. But all of a sudden, there's a few of them who say, God can't do it. Oh, I'm not so sure. You know, there are giants there. The children of Anak live in that land. Watch this. And in the holy place, Kadesh, they bring what the Bible says is a negative report. Don't let your negative report cause a prophecy or a promise to not come to pass. I may be saying, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to save your family. I'm going to do something in your life that's never been done before. I'm going to turn your world upside down. I'm going to give you a financial blessing like you've never seen. I'm going to put your marriage back together again. I'm going to make your house whole. I'm going I'm to do something in you that I've never done for any other person in your lineage. Your family may not even understand what I'm about to do for you. And if you'll keep doing what Sister Paula did, and for 24 years you'll just keep coming back. I don't know if today's my day or not, but I'm going to find out. I don't know if the sound of those keys at the prison door are the ones that's going to make me free but I'm still going to get up and look out the window I don't know if this person walking by my gate is the one who's going to cause my feet and ankle bones to receive strength but I'm going to look at them expecting to receive something of them I don't know when the promise is coming it may be 
immediately, but one day, in just one moment, in just a single act, I will be made whole because I have a promise. Stand to your feet all over the room. He still had his faith. What happened? What would happen? I was preaching last Sunday morning in our church. There's a little girl I've never seen before. And I made this one statement. I said, I, I don't care. I don't care if you've been to the altar 26 times. Come 27. This little girl. I've never even seen her before at our church. She looked up and just in one of those awkward moments, she said, really? That sure seems like a lot. You know how we are. We can hear everything they're saying, but we just ignore it and keep going, you know. We're standing the altar. She got up. She came over and sat right here on the edge of the altar. I'm standing here still preaching, exhorting a little in the altar. She comes and sits right there. Her cute little eyes and blonde hair, she just looked up at me. She could have been more than six. She said, really, Pastor? Is it worth it to come 26 times? Is it really worth it? I'm going to ask you that this morning. Is your promise worth going back to the door? Peering through the hole one more time. Saying, I know I had a dream. And my dream was not intended to keep me locked up in a prison. I know I got a promise. I don't know the day nor the hour that he's going to turn it all around. But I can tell you one thing. I'm not going to lose my hope no matter how dark and damp this prison is. I'm not going to lose my faith. Go read the text. They're 400 years living under the tyranny of Pharaoh's leadership. 430 years. But someone with an eye for detail might go back and read that the prophecy was that they would live in Egypt for 400 years. They stayed 30 years past the prophecy. 30 years. That's a hyphen age kid. That's a generation. That's a generation that lived building Pharaoh's city, being his slave. 
carrying straw and mortar and building his cities that did not have to stay. And if somebody stood up and said, we got a promise that we don't have to stay here one more day than 400 years. Somebody needs to get your stuff together because today's moving day. Today's moving day because I still got a little hope. I may not have much, but I still have some faith left. And if I know that God can do absolutely anything, then I don't have to live this way one more day. I may have lived with this handicap a long time. I may have struggled in this prison for two generations. But I'm telling you, I'm living with a promise on my life. And I may have been to the altar 30 times, but I'll go back 31 because I know there's coming a day that immediately the miracle will come to pass. Dies. He's resurrected. He gives a promise. They're almost 50 days from Pentecost. 500 people are at Bethany to watch the ascension. But there's only 120 to the upper room. 500 invitations there's 120 takers weeks almost 6 weeks 6 weeks and 380 I believe my math's right that drop out Six weeks. They're waiting. They got to get from Bethany to Jerusalem. And then they get there and they wait. And they wait. And they pray. And they wait. And Jesus is gone. And they lament his loss. And they live with remorse. And they struggle through that they're not going to see him anymore. And people are dropping like flies who don't believe it anymore. But they keep walking. And they get to an upper room. And they shut themselves in. And they pray and they wait. But then, in a moment. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. 380 people and six weeks later and all the waiting and all the wondering and all the remorse, it all turned around in a suddenly. It may be a long journey to your destiny, but I'm telling you this morning, God is turning his attention to where you are and in one moment, in one prayer meeting, in one trip, to the altar in one day on your knees God will turn your situation around and you will step into your promise would you lift your hands and open your hearts all over this room suddenly 
suddenly suddenly suddenly anybody in this room just not going to give up this morning anybody in this room got a promise this morning you said I've had a little hope restored today I'm just going to keep on believing God I'm just going to keep on believing for a miracle God is going to send my husband back to the Lord God is going to turn my life around I'm going to keep believing I'm going to go back to the altar one more time I'm going to look I'm going to look in the eyes of the passerby one more time today I want you to hear me. Hear me. Numbers 13. Bible. The Bible tells us a story in Genesis of Hagar. Watch this, Brother Dustin. Hagar. She is, for all intents and purposes, the queen mother. Sarah's days are numbered because Sarah can't have a baby. But Hagar has produced the biological seed of Abraham. Now, Bubba, you make no mistake about it. Hagar's already enlarged her tent. She has her own handmaidens. Her chariots have gold wheels on them. She's making her plans for the future. But then Sarah goes ahead and messes it up by having Isaac. And the Bible said that one day, I won't spend a lot of time here, but I could. The Bible said one day Sarah looks out the window and she sees Ishmael mocking Isaac. Your miracle and your mistake can never coexist in the same house because your mistake will mock your miracle. The Bible said, he said, cast him out. She gets a cruise of water and a baby. And she goes to walking. Bible said she comes into the desert. She's banished to Beersheba. She's dying of water. She's thirsty. She's dehydrating. She don't know how she's going to make it. And she puts the lad down. The Bible said she goes as if it were a bow shot away. And she begins to sing with remorse. She is lamenting the dehydration. She's going to die. The Bible said the Lord did not send her a caravan. She didn't get 
she didn't have a shovel and dig a well. What she didn't know, hear me, somebody in this house. Do you know what the word Beersheba means? Land of seven wells. She couldn't have been in a place that had more water. She's lamenting something that is all around her. There's more water here than anywhere. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think it's any mistake that she ended up in Beersheba? Do you think that it's just by chance that she went walking toward Beersheba? Do you think she just made a mistake and found her way into Beersheba? Or do you think God was ordering her steps the entire time? He knew what she would need. He did not send a caravan. He didn't send a cruise of water. He didn't give her a shovel to dig a well. He opened her eyes and he showed her that he had been ordering her steps the entire time. It may have been a long journey, but just in an epiphany, just in a moment, her eyes were open and she realized that water was plentiful where she was, that God had been ordering her her steps the entire time. Woo. I want to tell somebody, don't you give up now. God's about to open your eyes to what he's been doing for a long time and you're going to possess the promise that you have held on to. Don't give up your faith. Don't stop now. Don't walk away. You just keep pursuing the Lord and he will open your eyes to your promise. Lift your hands all over this house. You are not here by mistake. You are not here by happenstance. You did not show up to this morning service just because it's what you always do. There is a promise that's on your life. There is a promise that's in your life. There is a destiny that's on you. Don't give up hope. Keep walking, Hagar. The promise is that out of that boy is going to come nine princes. You got a promise on you. And it may be a long walk to Beersheba. It may be a long dry season. It may be a time where you're feeling awfully dehydrated. But in one moment, I'm going to open your eyes. And you're going to see the promise. Don't you give up on that lost husband. Don't you give up on that lost wife. Don't you give up on that son or daughter. Don't you give up on that financial blessing. Don't you give up on that promise. You're in the land of Beersheba. Your eyes are just closed to what your destiny really is. 